Good afternoon, Lake Church. It's good to see you. Happy Wednesday. I've got three announcements for you. First one is ladies' community dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, is Tuesday, November 7th at 645, and that will be held at First Baptist Church. You can sign up to bring a dish if you'd like in the guest services. Next up, we got LC Gone Country. Give it up for that. That is this Sunday from 5 to 8 p.m. Tonight is the last night you can sign up to bake a pie. And the pie contest, if you win first place, you get $100. That's what's up. There we go. And if you'd like to know more information or sign up for the pie uh, message or see Christy Greenwood. Last but not least, we LC presents One Wintry Night in Italy. That is December 2nd, 6 p.m. in the Area 51 building. Special music by Josiah Mullins. Dinner with a choice of one entree and one dessert. There will also be a silent auction. All proceeds go to Step of Faith Ministries. If you have any questions, contact Bob, Pastor Bob. Tickets will be available starting tonight. One person is $22 and a couple is $40. Now we're on to offering. There we go. Just a reminder, Vision 2025 is a giving program to raise money to pay off all of our buildings by 2025. You can put it over there. Um, and other than that, you can text to give, give on the app, or you can give on the seatbacks in front of you. Now I'm going to pray, and then we will get on to service. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to be here. Lord, I just thank you for the people here. I thank you for the family that they've, you've given me with this church, Lord. I just speak over the offering, and I bless it to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, good evening, Lake Church. Good to see everybody tonight. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. If you brought your Bible with you, we're going to be still in Galatians chapter 1. <laughs> I tell you what, it's it's hard to move on. I mean, you want to, but uh, there's so much to be said. <laughs> so anyways, um, God is good. Let's just uh, stand real quick and just get our minds focused uh, on the Lord and just kind of put out all the distractions of the day and um, come together to believe tonight. For God to give us revelation knowledge. For it's only by revelation knowledge that we can apply truth to our life. And only when we apply the truth do we see change, transformation. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we just give you praise tonight. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, God. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Father God, that as we speak the word tonight, that you open the eyes of our hearts, that our hearts are flooded with the light of your word. For your word is a light, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we desire truth tonight, Father God, that we might walk thereby, that we might walk in the light of redemption, Father God, that we might be an expression of you in the earth, that we might bring the kingdom to bear in this present evil age, Father God, and that we might show the superiority of your nature and your character in this world, Father God, 
the superiority of your kingdom as we minister in the world, Father God, that we would be like Jesus, that we would go forth doing good and healing all of those who are oppressed by the devil, Father God. We thank you. We are so grateful that you called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light, Father God. Oh, that you redeemed us. Oh, that we passed from death to life. We have so much to be thankful for. So much to be grateful for, Father God. We thank you that you cleansed us of sin and sent your Holy Spirit to dwell on the inside of us. And now we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father. Greater is he that's within us than he that is within the world, and that you've made us overcomers through him who loved us. We just give you praise. Pray that this word just glorify you tonight, Father God. Bless your body. Cause us to grow up in him. Hallelujah. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so we're going to get started once again in Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 6. So we've talked a lot about uh, the background of this book. And we talked about Paul's first missionary journey and how he went out into the regions of Galatia. The Galatia isn't a city, but it's a province with many cities in it. And we talked about how that he went about Uh, preaching the gospel, establishing churches, and then he went back to Antioch in Syria where he had come from, and he got word that uh, they weren't doing so well, that some other people had come along behind him and began to trouble the churches by beginning to mix law with grace. See, Paul never taught the Gentiles law. In fact, we read in uh, Acts chapter 13 the first message that Paul ever preached. And basically, you can sum it up in this. He said, let it be known to you, brethren, that by this man is preached the forgiveness of sins. And through him, you are freed from everything through which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And so he preached that pure, simple message of faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. He never taught them anything about the law. He established churches and leaders and he moved on. But then he heard that other people came along and started saying, yeah, well, so you got to accept Jesus, but you need to be circumcised and you need to observe the law of Moses in order to do well, which was totally a uh, distortion of what Paul had taught the churches to begin with. And it troubled the people. And uh, it actually, uh, in Acts 15, it said it unsettled their souls. That's what legalism does, is it unsettles you in your soul because it gets you off of looking at what Jesus has done uh, in his finished work to provide salvation for you by grace, and it gets you focused in on everything you're doing And rather than just believing that God has made you righteous through what Jesus did, you begin to think that you have to maintain your right standing with God by your own performance. And it unsettles your soul because in your own heart, you know that you fall short of the glory of God by your own actions. The only way that you can be righteous 
as God is righteous, is receive it as a gift by faith through what Jesus has done for us, which is the whole reason why he had to come. If we could do it ourselves by performance, why would Jesus have even had to die? Which is something that he's going to say later. So anyway, he begins to address to the Galatians the issue that he had heard about. And he says in verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. You know that word deserting, it's a military term that means to go AWOL, to be a traitor basically. He says, I'm, so, I'm astonished that so quickly. See, he hadn't been gone very long and he heard they had already turned away from the grace of Christ and began to embrace a works-based relationship with God. So he was like, man, that happened quick. <laughs> I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, I told you last week in verse 6 where it says different gospel. That is the Greek word heteros. And in verse 7 where it says another one, it's the Greek word alos. Now, these two words, they both in the King King James Version are translated another. Another. So when you read that in the King James, if you have that or a new King James, it doesn't look like there's any difference because it uses the same English word. But the first one that's translated different here, it means another of a different kind. Alos means another of the same kind. What he's saying here is he's saying you are turning to a different gospel. Now get this, one that is not the same. So when you add anything to the grace of Christ, it no longer is the same gospel. In fact, he goes on and he says, not that there is another one, because there's only one gospel. There isn't another one even of the same kind or in the same class. There's only one gospel of Jesus Christ. And the hallmark of the, of the gospel or the distinguishing characteristic of the gospel of Christ is the grace of God. It's what God has done for man independent of man uh, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Through his death His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, His seating at the right hand of God. Redemption for mankind is made complete. And it's all of what He has done and nothing of what we do. It's all of grace. And uh, we've had a lot of help mixing that up. Because what we see here is that He's not saying that this distortion is a complete departure from the message, but it's actually a mixture. That's why it was so deceiving, because they presented it as it's the same, but it really wasn't. Let me read this to you in the uh, Passion Translation. He says, I'm shocked over how quickly you've strayed away from the one who called you in the grace of Christ. I'm frankly astounded that you now embrace a distorted gospel. That is a fake gospel. That is simply not true. There is only one gospel. The gospel of the Messiah. 
Yet you have allowed those who mingle law with grace to confuse you with lies. And I tell you what, let me just let me just give you a definition. This is my own definition, but um, legalism is twofold. One, it is it is trying to attain to the righteousness of God by your own performance. That's the simplest way I know how to say it. It's trying to attain or earn righteousness with God by your own performance. And most people understand that. You know, we we sing the song, um, Just As I Am, without one plea. You know, we, we understand, most people understand that when we come to Jesus, we have nothing to offer God. And we accept his free gift of righteousness, salvation. But then there's a second part of it, and here's where the deception usually kicks in for people. That it's not only uh, trying to attain righteousness by your performance, but trying to maintain righteousness by your performance. People say, what's wrong with that? I thought we were supposed to live a holy life. There's a difference in living a holy life out of... um, a response to the fact that you are righteous than you trying to be to act righteous and present it to God in order to receive favor from him with the works of your own hands that's the way of Cain that's what Cain did Abel brought the sacrifice of a lamb its blood, its life was offered in his place. He did it in faith to what God had told him to do. But Cain brought the work of his own hands. And that's what legalism is. It's believing, first of all, that I have to. And second of all, that I'm able to. <laughs> How arrogant is it for us to believe that we can do something and present it to God and it be satisfactory to earn his favor. Rather than, as if G, what Jesus did wasn't enough. That's, that's kind of the thing. As if Jesus, what he did, was not enough. Now the hallmark of the gospel or the distinguishing characteristic of the gospel is the grace of God. How do you know you're hearing the gospel? Because you're hearing about the grace of God. In fact, I'll say this, no grace, no gospel. (laughs) The word gospel is good news. That's simply what it means. And the word gospel, euangelion, is a Greek word that was used as when there was a war going on and they won the war, then they would send a messenger back to proclaim to everybody that the war was over. That's what that Greek word was. That's what the gospel is. It is us coming and declaring that the war is over between God and man. There is now peace from God to man because God made peace through the blood of his cross. And he provided peace to man as a free gift. Listen, I've heard people say before, oh, I made peace with God. You don't make peace with God. God made peace with us, and by faith we step into the peace that he's already made. Oh, man. Um, so the gospel is the, is the proclamation. It's God's testimony concerning the finished work of his son. 
I would say this concerning the person and the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Who he is and why he came, what he did, what he accomplished. That's the work of the gospel. And it's all of grace. In fact, look at this scripture in Acts chapter 20. The apostle Paul says, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Did you get that? The gospel is the testimony of the grace of God. And it's all grace. No works are added to it. Okay? The law was only given to show us our need for God's grace. But once you come to a revelation of the grace of God, you no longer need the law. Because it's done its job. (laughs) It's a schoolmaster, he's going to say later, given to lead us to Christ until faith should come. And when we come to faith, there's no more need from, for the law. People say, well, how, do I, how am I going to live holy if I don't have the law? Love. Liberty comes not from law, but from love. That's what we're going to find out later on. That is the power to live for God. Love, not law. And in fact, I fulfill the law by, not by trying to keep the law, but by learning to love. The gospel is the testimony of the grace of God. Let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I just want to continue to kind of establish what was going on in Paul's ministry. You know, the greatest opponent to the gospel was always religion. Not unbelievers. It's religion. Religion. Not unbelievers. Religious people. They always oppose the gospel. And in fact, what was happening is Paul would go and preach to Gentiles who never had the law to begin with. And then Jewish believers would come along behind him and start trying to teach them all about the law and get them observing and trying to keep the law. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, so this is the reason I'm skipping around doing some different places is I want you to see that this thread of law and grace or law versus grace uh, is all through the New Testament. All through the New Testament. You'll find it in every book of the New Testament. It was the opposing force to the advancement of the gospel. So in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, just to kind of set this scripture up, uh, false apostles were opposing Paul, which is why he was defending his apostleship. And they were saying that, well, he wasn't appointed by us. You know, he wasn't appointed by anybody in the Jerusalem church. That's why Paul said in the beginning of chapter 1 of Galatians, he said, appointed an apostle not by men or from men, but by Jesus Christ. He was chosen by the Lord himself to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But they were saying, how could he be an apostle? We didn't appoint him as an apostle. See, what happens is when you can't dispute 
again, when someone can't dispute you on facts or debate you on facts, they resort to personal attacks. And that's what was going on with Paul. They couldn't debate him based on facts about the word and about the gospel. So they just resorted to personal attacks and tried to come against his uh, ability to be an apostle. And so he's defending that. And this, I love this chapter. Because Paul says, it's really foolish for me to, to begin to compare myself to these other people. It's really foolish. It's really how an unbeliever would act. He says, but bear with me. If you want to go there, let's go there. Because Paul knew that his sacrifice and service to the Lord would, out, would, would outmatch anybody who wanted to compare themselves. <laughs> he had gone through so much. So that's what he's saying. He said, I wish you'd bear with me in a little foolishness. He's basically saying, these people are fools, but I guess I'm going to get foolish with them. He said, in a little foolishness, do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That word sincere, if you look it up in the original language, it means singleness. See, when you begin to uh, operate in religious Christianity or legalistic Christianity, you are not single upon Jesus and His finished work. You're adding something else to it. What he's saying is that these false apostles had brought in another gospel and had caused them to begin to trust not singly in what Jesus had done, but him and their own works. I like the King James. It says the simplicity of Christ. See, the gospel message is meant to be simple. I remember Brother Hagin said this. He said, the gospel is simple. In fact, if it seems, if somebody preaches something that's complicated, then they didn't get it from God. <laughs> because the gospel is simple. It's not meant to be intellectual where only certain people could understand it and receive it. It's meant to be uh, on a level where children can understand it. Oh, where where we get in trouble, we start complicating stuff. Oh, well, the gospel is very, very simple. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Man, that's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I didn't want to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You said, well, what else? That's not much to preach. Oh, you can unpack that a lot. You can unpack that a lot. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote, wrote on it on, and through, all of his, uh, through all of his letters. And he wrote a bunch of letters of the New Testament. Most of it, in fact. It's simple. See, what legalism does is it, gets, it makes you a double-minded man. You know when James talks about double-mindedness? That's what he's talking about. I like to say it like this. Sin consciousness makes you double-minded. Sun consciousness makes you single-minded. I don't think you got that. 
We are to move from the double-mindedness of sin consciousness. See, that, show, that makes us think of ourselves as separate from him. And we're trying to come together. No. The single-mindedness of sun consciousness recognizes Christ in you, the hope of glory, and begins to live from that revelation. Okay? So he says um, that he is worried, afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere, pure devotion to Christ. In, in Galatians 1, the scripture we just said, he said, I'm surprised you already turned away from him. See, going turning to legalism is turning away from him. Oh, man. From your pure devotion to him. And getting involved in trying to produce the righteousness of God by your own self-effort. And in our own pride and arrogance, believing that we can, on our own, by our own effort, produce the righteousness of God. Okay, so he says... For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. So see, they were propping themselves up as like some kind of super apostles and they were coming against his apostleship to try and discredit him so that they he, the people would follow them. See, the Pharisees never got ex- upset until they saw the crowds following Jesus. You know why? Because their popularity and their money was threatened. <laughs> okay, yeah, now we're getting somewhere. See, that's what religion it, it, it thrives on, popularity and money. And um, these guys were presenting a false gospel that would enslave people to them. You see, that's what religion does. It enslaves people. It puts them in bondage because they're easy to manipulate. Oh, man. I I said this a few weeks ago. It surprised me when I said it. But religion thrives on returning customers. And listen, I could get up here and I could preach on performance and works. And, man, I could really manipulate you. I could really manipulate you. (laughs) Christian, it's easy to manipulate Christians that way. But what we're trying to do is teach you how to begin to be led by the Spirit of God, not manipulated by the convictions of man. See, that's what religion is. It's not the commands of God. It's the convictions of men. Most people preach their own convictions as the commands of God. Mm, That's what legalism is. You know, in fact, the Pharisees, they expanded on God's law. They added a whole bunch of stuff to it. Well, that wasn't stuff God said. It was their own convictions. And Jesus said, listen to what they say, but don't do what they do because 
They, tell, they lay burdens on you, but they don't lift them up themselves. <laughs> and that's what legalism does. So these false apostles, who were they? Drop down to verse 22. I've kind of went a long way around to say what I was trying to say here, but bear with me. Verse 22, it says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So are they. So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. And he begins to compare his service and his sacrifice to theirs. Showing that him by grace was accomplishing more than they were by their legalism. But what I wanted to show you is that by him saying are they uh, Hebrews? Are they Israelites? It exposes who these guys were. And it exposes the false gospel and the false Jesus they were presenting. Legalists. They were Jewish legalists coming along behind Paul and adding law to the grace of God. Okay? To bring them into bondage. Okay, so I want to flip back over to... Now, in fact, let me do this real quick. Go to Romans chapter 3. Because we've been talking about what the gospel is not. It is not a mixture of law with grace. It is purely the grace of God without law. So I'm going to go to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. He says, Now we know that whatsoever things, or what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. We'll expand on that more later in Galatians, but basically right there it tells you that the law was given to cause everybody to recognize that they are guilty before God. I remember when I taught the book of Romans, I talked about this. The law was never a means of salvation. Although people have used it that way, people have tried to use it as a means of salvation. It was never meant to be a means of salvation. It was a measure that we would use to see our need for a Savior. And when you look at the law and you try to keep it and you fail... What you realize is I am unable to produce the standard that this law demands. It's like, um, it's like an x-ray. See, the problem with man was not his outward actions. Those were just the fruit of the real problem. The problem with man is that we all received a fallen nature from Adam. When Adam sinned, he passed on that fallen, satanic nature to every man. And sin is the fruit of that. Because our nature was to sin, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why you can't just change your actions and be saved. Because even if you stopped sinning from now on till the end of your life, it wouldn't change your nature. See what I'm saying? We needed to be cleansed and forgiven of sin and receive a new nature. The very nature of God had to be imparted to us for us to even begin to think about functioning the way that He meant for us to function. 
And the law was just people were, because there were so many years before God even gave the law, people thought they were okay. Why? Because they just compared themselves to other people. As long as I'm better than you, then I'm all right, obviously. They were deceived into thinking that's the way legalism does it. It gets you comparing yourself to other people rather than comparing yourself to the God who created you in his own image and in his own likeness. And so God gave the law. He gave them something so high, nobody could produce it. He gave them a standard that was so perfect, nobody could meet it. Why? To wake them up out of their delusion and cause them to realize that their problem was bigger than what they could solve themselves. And the law was given so that we might all recognize that we are guilty before God and hopeless to be able to do anything about it depraved and destined for separation from God unless God himself was to do something for us. Mm. That's why he gave the law. He He gave it to cause sin to have dominion over us so that we would realize our condition. See, because it's like um, if a person has a disease, if they don't know it, the the uh, the medicine or whatever the uh, prescription is isn't going to mean anything to them unless they understand there's something wrong with them. See, that's the way the law was a diagnosis. Jesus is the cure. <laughs> the law was a diagnosis. Jesus was the cure. And the law was only given to shut everybody's mouth, to stop everyone's excuses and cause us to all recognize that we were sinners separated from God. Verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, the law isn't the knowledge of salvation. It's the knowledge of sin. And no flesh, you should underline no flesh (laughs) in your Bible to realize that no flesh, not one person is going to be justified in the sight of God um, by their own actions, by the law. When I say law, I mean performance, actions that cause you to be declared by God as not guilty. Nobody. Nobody's going to stand before Jesus and say, I was a good person. (laughs) You know, if you were asked, how come, why should you be allowed to enter the kingdom of God? It won't be on the basis of your performance. It won't be on the basis of your goodness. It won't be on the basis of your holiness because you have none. In fact, the only holiness that's produced in the life of the believer is produced by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not even you. (laughs) It's as you yield to the life of God that's within you. By faith, He produces holiness in our life. Romans chapter 6 says holiness is a fruit of salvation. It's not the root. It's the fruit of salvation. Okay, so he says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, say but now. So that's the way it was. But now, 
But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So now the righteousness of God has been manifested or made known without the law. Now I I found this interesting. The phrase there in the Greek for without the law is used in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 where it talks about Jesus being without sin. Think about that. Salvation is as much without the law as Jesus was without sin. Mm. I'm going to say that again. Salvation is as much without law of any kind as Jesus was without sin. Was Jesus without sin? Perfectly. Well, so salvation is without any law whatsoever. And in fact, in, uh, in the original language where it says, Now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. The word thee is not there in the original language. What it actually says, but now the righteousness of God without law is manifested. Huge difference. Do you, do, you, do you catch the difference? If it says the law, it's just talking about the law of Moses. But if it says without law, it means without any law of any kind at any time. You say, why do you have to point that out? Because people make their own laws. <laughs> people make their own laws and try to use their own laws that aren't even things God said were laws. Think about this. This is, this is what's crazy to me, is that if God's law can't save you, what makes you think a law you make is going to save you? If God's law can't earn you favor with God, what makes you think the laws that you make for yourself can earn you favor with God? If God's law can't cause you to be healed, what makes you think the laws that you make for yourself can cause you to earn a healing? See, it's without any law of any kind at any time. The very, I'm not saying we don't live a life for God out of effort, but it is the effort that comes from revelation and the power of God that's on the inside of us through the Holy Spirit. We don't earn things from God. You know, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. He said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You know who he was talking to? He was talking to Jewish people who were under the law. Why were they burdened and heavy laden? Because they had been trying to keep the law as a way of salvation. That's who he was talking to. He said, come to me, I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you, upon you and learn of me, and you'll find rest for your souls. See, what believers got to do is we got to take off the yoke of earning and put on the yoke of learning. Oh, man. We got the yoke of earning on. We're working our fingers to the bone. We're trying to present something that God will accept and give us favor and earn us something from him. 
when what we really need to do is put the yoke of learning on and learn about what he's already provided for us through the grace of God. Listen, he's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Already all the promises of God are yes in him. Come on. We're trying to persuade him with our performance. He's already persuaded, guys. He's already persuaded. The very fact that we're trying to perform shows us that we don't understand it's already provided. we got to change that. We have to purge our hearts and purge our minds of legalism if we want to actually function the way God created us to. We were never meant to live in relationship to God with law. If so, why did he wait so long to give it to Moses? There were generations upon generations upon generations of people who lived on this earth before God ever gave the law to Moses. Hmm. It's awful quiet in here. Okay, let me get a drink here. But now the righteousness of God without law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So the law and the prophets spoke about this coming righteousness of God that was given to us as a gift. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, there is no difference. So I think it's interesting. He says, even the right, it's so unbelievable That he says, even the righteousness of God. I don't think you caught that. Do you realize that your righteousness is actually God's righteousness? See, people are so indoctrinated with um, relative righteousness or self-righteousness. That they have not fully embraced the fact that when you accepted Jesus, he became your righteousness. You know what that means? As righteous, I am as righteous as Jesus is. Because Jesus is my righteousness. Oh, man. See, people are trying to make themselves righteous. You don't understand. You already are. If you would actually believe that, you would live holier on accident than you ever did on purpose. People don't believe it, though. Well, I'm an old sinner saved by grace. No, I was an old sinner, but I got saved by grace. And now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Even the righteousness of God. Man, I tell you what, you can't get any more righteous. The very moment that you say Jesus is Lord, you're as righteous as you'll ever be. You know what you can do? You can grow in your revelation of your righteousness, but you can't grow in righteousness. It don't get no better than the righteousness of God. Hmm. Goodness. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Listen, these words are not insignificant. That's why you can't just surface read the Bible. You have to study it. 
You know, it could say, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's not what it says. It says, by faith of Jesus Christ. Of. You know what that means? By the faithful performance of Jesus, he has provided a perfect righteousness to everyone who believes. It's by the faith of Jesus, not by my faith. It's by the faith of Jesus to perform everything that was necessary. Every legal demand that was against man because of sin, he, he, he accomplished the redemption from that through his death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God. It's complete. It's perfect. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. You can simply embrace it by faith and receive the benefit of it. (sighs) Even the righteousness of God by faith of Jesus Christ. Now get this, unto all, so he did it for everybody, but it's only upon all them that believe. Mm. See, God provided that perfect righteousness for every man. You know, limited atonement is a deceit. This says that he only died for certain people or people he knew that would be saved. That's absolutely false. Jesus bore the sin of the entire world. And he provided the righteousness of God to all. But it's only upon all of them who believe. That's us. Yeah, that's right. That's us. That's what the gospel does is it says, that's me. That's what faith does is it says, that's me. When the grace of God is declared, when the gospel is preached, Jesus provided a perfect righteousness. Forgiveness is preached through this man and through him you are freed from everything through which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. That's me. That's what faith is. That's me. See, we're saved by grace, but not by grace alone. But it's not by grace and works. It's by grace and faith. What does faith do? Faith appropriates what the grace of God has provided. Hmm. It says, that's me. It says, Jesus is Lord. It says, he died for me. And God raised him from the dead. And he is Lord. And at that moment, by faith, I have just partaken of the grace of God. And I receive the perfect righteousness. I am justified in his sight. You listen, look, people may look at you and go, well, I don't see it. <laughs> it takes time for people to see it. But the moment you say Jesus is Lord in his sight. Yeah. Listen, guys, that's the only sight that matters. I remember, <laughs> I remember whenever I got saved, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I did, I'm sure people were going, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we will see about that one. Hey, Varnell got saved. Right. <laughs> right. We'll see. We'll see. But you know what? It did, that didn't bother me. Because I knew I was righteous in his sight. I didn't care what anybody else thought. I'm like, you will see. 
<laughs> I'm like, you will see. Why? Because when I said Jesus is Lord, when I stood up, I was a new creation. And by faith, I knew it. Mm, I'm telling you, I knew it. It didn't matter what anybody else thought. I knew that in his sight, I was the righteousness of God. I knew in his sight, I was a brand new creation. I knew in his sight, old things had passed away and all things had become new. I knew in his sight that I was the righteousness of God. I knew in his sight, I was justified and declared not guilty. Even though I was guilty, I was declared not guilty. That's the good news of the gospel. That all of that happened by grace. Only by faith was I able to partake of it. When I heard, and how does faith come? By hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That means if you go and you, see, we have this idea we have to get people to straighten their life out. I I was listening to Bobby Andian the other day, Pastor Bob. He is such a blessing. And he was, man, he said, a lot of people are preaching law and they don't even realize it. It's so ingrained in people's thinking. They're so in, we're so indoctrinated with legalism that we're preaching people to change, clean up their life, change your actions. That's not the gospel. <laughs> That's not what Paul said. Oh, he said, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached the forgiveness of sins. And through him, you are freed from everything. You know what? You remember when Peter went to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10? You should go read it. I'm not going to read it because I don't have time. But you should go read it. it. It's amazing. He started preaching about Jesus dying and being raised from the dead. And then he mentions... The forgiveness of sins. You know it was at that moment that the Holy Spirit fell on them. Mm. Think about that. It was when he mentioned that the free gift of the forgiveness of your sins. The whole, they, listen, they didn't lay hands on them to receive the Holy Ghost. He was preaching. And when they believed their sins were forgiven through the gospel, the Holy Ghost fell on them. And they began to speak with other tongues. Why? Because the moment they believed, their hearts were cleansed. They received a new nature and the Holy Ghost moved in. And they began to operate in the Spirit and speak with other tongues. Why? Simple! He didn't put a bunch of things they had to do to qualify themselves in the way. You know what? The Holy Ghost interrupted his preaching. (laughs) I've read that before and I thought, man, he didn't even let Peter finish the sermon. He was right in the middle of it. (laughs) I want to go read it, but I'm not going to. (laughs) It amazed me because he's right in the middle of his sentence. And it says, and the Holy Ghost fell on him. You know what? He had to do it that way. Because they wouldn't have ever believed the Gentiles could be saved if it hadn't happened that way. Because that was the only reason. Peter said, well, I guess since they got the Holy Ghost, we can't keep them from being baptized in water, can we? (laughs) Just sovereignly, when they believed, the Holy Ghost just moved on them. And they were filled. Amen? 
The simplicity of the gospel. It was when they believed what Peter was preaching about the grace of God that by faith they were able to embrace it. Mm. I am not getting very far. (laughs) For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let me show you another verse. In Romans chapter 11 verse 6 it says, If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Do you realize it's either or? It's either or. It's one or the other. You're either operating in grace or you're operating in works. The two don't work together. See, people, what they think is, oh, if you don't balance grace, then they're not, people aren't going to live right. That's, that's hogwash. Grace is the ability to live right. <laughs> grace works effectually in the heart of a person to give them the will and the ability to live for God. People think they've got to balance grace. The problem with balance, trying to balance grace is to balance something, you have to get something that's opposite of it and an equal amount on the other side. How, and how do people try to balance grace? With the law. And law doesn't balance grace. It opposes it. It's either or. It's one or the other. The two don't work together. They're opposite. And we've tried to balance grace with law. Why? We're scared. We're afraid of turning people over to the grace of God. You know, Paul wasn't. We read that uh, in Acts chapter 13 when he left them. Think about this. He went, he preached the gospel to them, established them and everything. And then he left. What did he do? He turned them over to the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Can you imagine that? (laughs) we think we need to be the Holy Ghost for people. We're not a very good Holy Ghost. (laughs) You know what he said? He said when he was leaving them, he he exhorted them to continue in the grace of God. The grace of God will teach you how to live for the Lord. It'll teach you how to live for the Lord, and it'll empower you to get it done. So it's either one or the other. It's not both. Because if you start work, start operating in works, you're not in grace anymore. He's going to say that again in uh, Galatians chapter 5, but a little bit more stern. And it actually tells them that you've fallen from grace and you are severed from Christ. Wow. Hmm. Let me go down here a little bit further. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 1. In verse 8 it says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Man, that's crazy. That word accursed means divine curse. Paul is calling for a divine curse upon anyone who preaches a gospel that's contrary to the true gospel. Yikes, yeah, that's right. God is serious about the gospel. You talk about serious. 
the Holy Ghost inspired Paul to declare a divine curse on anyone who preaches a gospel that is mixing law with grace. And then, as if he, he thought, well, surely they'll, they'll have trouble with believing I, it's actually what I meant, he repeats himself. He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Here's the deal. We get taken by the messenger and we're open to swallowing a wrong message. And I tell you what, that's especially in the day that we live in. People are so easily impressed by people who can speak well, especially immature believers. They're so impressed by someone who is a good orator and who can talk good and tell good jokes and really perform for them. They can say anything. But I'll tell you what, most, uh, you know, a lot of these false cult leaders and stuff have caused people to take their own lives. They were good orators. They were good speakers. They were impressive speakers. Paul, he said, I'm not even a great speaker. Why? He wasn't dependent on the messenger. He was dependent on the message. That's what matters. It's the message. It's the message. What Romans 1 says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You don't have to be a good speaker if you know the message. If you know the message, the message is what does the work. It's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. You don't have to be an eloquent speaker. You can be a hick from Manford. <laughs> <laughs> you can be a hick from Manford who never did one oral book report in high school. Didn't even attend class very often. Didn't graduate. But if you know the message, it's the message that changes people's lives. It's not how well I can say it. It's not how entertaining I can be when I preach it. See, the gospel is like a sword that just pierces into the heart of a person. And when you preach the, the message of the gospel, the Holy Ghost confirms it. Hmm. He says, for, now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, one of the biggest reasons that people get swayed into preaching false gospels is because they want to be, a, they want the approval of other people. There's a lot of pressure because people have an inordinate or they have a great desire, say, for ministry or something, and they will edit their message. To be accepted in certain circles. Man. You know Paul was. He suffered horrible persecution. He was stoned. And I'm not talking about. You know. <laughs> I feel like in Creek County. I got to. <laughs> I got to make it clear. What I'm talking about. 
<laughs> when I say stone, I mean they threw rocks at him. <laughs> he was, you know, he was laid stripes on his back. I mean, he was persecuted horribly. And you know what? He could have got. He, he could have avoided all that. All he had to do is mix a little law with it. Say, well, you know what? They're right. You know, we got to receive Jesus, but we do need to keep the law. All that would have gone away. <laughs> Very tempting. He said, but, you know, my, my purpose in ministry isn't the approval of people. He said his purpose was to be a servant of Christ. And how could he be a servant of Christ? Keep the message pure. I tell you what, I'm so thankful for the Apostle Paul because he contended for the true message of the gospel so that it would be unadulterated for you and me. He's going to say that in the second chapter. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he didn't give in. You know, even Peter got caught up in the hypocrisy of the false gospel and acting, uh, acting out of character with the true gospel. Peter! I'm talking about Peter, you know, the one that walked on water. Why did, why did God have to get a, an apostle to the Gentiles? Because the other ones, man. He had to take Paul out of the system and separate him out so that he could get it straight in Paul. And he's the one who straightened the rest of them out. So let me look real quickly here, and I'm going to get through this first chapter just to kind of, uh, but I'm not going to take very long to do it. I've seen a lot of y'all panic there for a second. <laughs> In verse 11 uh, through verse 17, he just begins to talk about the fact that he wasn't taught the gospel by men. That after he got saved... He went into Arabia, which was his wilderness. It was the same wilderness Moses was in for 40 years. God separated him out. He went into Arabia. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't go to where James and John and Peter was. He didn't let, God didn't let him go there and learn how to preach the gospel from those guys. God separated him out and he received the gospel by a revelation of Jesus Christ. He received his New Testament revelation that we're blessed with today straight from the Lord himself without any adulterant so that it would be pure for us. And so in those verses, that's what he's talking about. He says, For I would have you know, brother, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, For you heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. I was so extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You know what? You can have, I, I mentioned this in Cross-Eyed, uh, the message series Cross-Eyed. You can be zealous for God, 
You can be deeply devoted to God without understanding. That's what Paul was before he understood the true gospel. He was zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. He was wrong in the things that he was doing. And you can still be zealous for God. That's the sad thing is that people who are in legalism are deeply devoted to God. But not according to knowledge. And not only does it hurt them, but they hurt other people with it. Okay, so he says, uh, But when he who had set me apart before I was born... And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. The thing I want to point out that's interesting right there is he says God had set him apart before he was born. That speaks of grace. You can't be set apart before you were born. If it's before you were born, you were never able to do anything good or bad. We were all set apart. We were all predestined unto God through Jesus Christ before we were ever born. And you need to, I sense the Holy Ghost right now just saying, you need to let this stuff settle on your heart right now. You need to realize that God was persuaded about you before you were ever even here on this earth. God was persuaded about you before you were ever in your mother's womb, before you were ever born, before you ever did anything good or bad. He already called you and already separated you unto himself. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here, that it was before he was born that he was called by the grace of God. Not because of anything in him, it was because of God. God, is, God uses imperfect people to bring about his perfect will. Well, if he doesn't use the imperfect people, who's he going to use? He ain't got nobody else. <laughs> He's got to choose us. He's got to call us. He's got to use us by his grace. He says... Um, Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So Paul went away into the wilderness, got away with God. Oh, it's kind of like Moses, you know, in Moses' case. You know, he was receiving the law from the Lord, but he had to get up on the mountain, away from the people. That's what we got to do. We got to get away with God. Can't just uh, take what people say. Man, I tell you what, we had Spirit Lab Monday night. Marvin Yoder was teaching along these lines. He was talking about we have to filter everything through the Word of God. It doesn't matter who's saying it. You have to take it. Does Is it in the Word? Is it agreement with the Word of God? That's why the Word is so important. It's what I was talking about on Sunday. Is to not be deceived means you have to be acquainted with what's genuine. If you're not, you can fall to counterfeits. But bank tellers, they don't give them counterfeit money to be able to recognize counterfeit money. They, give, they work with authentic, genuine bills so much that when a counterfeit comes through their hand, they recognize it immediately. 
Problem is we've been indoctrinated with religion and legalism so much we don't even recognize it. Whatever grandpa said or whatever grandma said or whatever uncle or aunt said or whatever this person said or that person, that preacher or this preacher, we got to get it from the word. We got to understand what the word of God says because Jesus takes his gospel seriously. We read that just a minute ago. So he got away into Arabia, verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit, this is Peter, and remained with him 15 days. So after three years, he spent 15 days with Peter, and that was it. Then he left. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. What's he doing here? He's establishing the fact that he didn't receive his revelation of the gospel from people. He received it from the Lord. He said, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Now, going into the second chapter, I'm just going to set this up before we close. Chapter 2, he gives two stories, and they illustrate the twofold theme of the book of Galatians that we're going to get into over the coming weeks. And I mentioned it earlier. The first is that we are made righteous, or we attain to righteousness by grace without works. The second is that we maintain righteousness by grace without works. That we are saved by the grace of God through faith and that we become spiritual or sanctified not by then starting to keep the law but the same way that we received Christ Jesus we also walk in Him the same way. By grace through faith. And that can be so foreign because we're so accustomed to performance. But we got to get it. We got to get it right. Because only when we function the way that God intended us to function are we going to experience what God intended for us to experience. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the true gospel grace. We thank you that it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. That the gospel message works effectually in the hearts of men to bring forth the will of God in their life. To save us, to heal us, to deliver us, and to make us whole. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We rejoice that Jesus did a perfect work on our behalf. That Jesus performed a finished work on our behalf. And there is nothing for us to do in regard to our relationship with you to try and earn or perform for you, but simply to trust in, 
to rely upon, to have faith in what Jesus did for us and in us. For Christ in us is the hope of glory. We thank you, Father God, that through the gospel we've been born of God, that we've become new creations. Oh, hallelujah. We thank you, Father. We've been born of God as new creations, that we've received your nature, that we've received your spirit, and that we are now empowered, Father God, to function in the image and the likeness of God that you created us to function in before the foundation of the world. Oh, hallelujah. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're teaching us, that you're teaching us, that you're Renewing our mind to truth so that we can embrace the life in the Spirit. That we can begin to live by the Spirit. That we can live by your power, Father God. Oh, hallelujah. That we can truly see notable miracles, signs, and wonders that cannot be denied or not be disputed, Father God. As we go forth and preach your gospel and you confirm it with signs following. We thank you for it, Father God. Oh, hallelujah. I thank you, Father God, for the good news of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Yeah, we worship you. We worship you. Come on, just stand in this place with me. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. Yes, hallelujah. We exalt you. We magnify you, Lord. We give you glory. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, have your way right now. Don't let us get in a hurry. Have your way. We just take a moment. We yield to you, Holy Spirit. What do you want to do in this place as we worship the Father and give you glory, Father God? Oh, I thank you, Father, that everyone who believes on Him is forgiven. Oh, everyone who believes on Him is forgiven and freed. (laughs) And freed from everything. And freed from everything. So I don't know if you're bound tonight, if you're enslaved tonight. Listen, if you're bound tonight or you're enslaved tonight, it's only because you're not believing Because Jesus has already provided by grace freedom from everything. And maybe you're trying to perform for something that's already been provided for you. And maybe that's the adjustment that needs to be made. Mm. It's impossible to just receive something. You think you have to achieve something to get. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, the gospel is the power of God. Believe it. Embrace the truth of it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, man. All of the promises of God are yes. Hear that tonight. All of the promises of God are yes in Him. They're yes in Him. Mm. Man, I don't know what you're bound with tonight, or if you are, but I'm telling you that 
God's testimony is that you're freed. You're freed. You're freed from everything (laughs) that you could not be freed from by your own performance. You're freed from it. You're freed from it. You're freed from it. You're freed from it. Say, I'm free. I am freed. And whom the sun sets free. Yeah, it's free indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, listen, tonight, before we go, I just want to remind you that we have ministers up here that uh, would love to pray with you, come into agreement with you if you have something you're struggling with. Listen, if you've never confessed Jesus as Lord of your life, let me tell you something. Jesus is Lord whether you confess him as Lord or not. But when you confess him as Lord, you move into position (laughs) to be able to experience the goodness of his Lordship. So if you've never done that before, we would love to be able to lead you to the Lord tonight and give you the assurance of faith that you're right with God. We'd love to do that. That would be, we would celebrate to be able to do that tonight. And not us only, but the Bible says that there's a celebration in heaven anytime anyone comes to repentance. So we would love to invite you for that. If you've never received the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, well, all you have to do is receive the forgiveness of sins and you qualify. Just like I was talking earlier, when Peter was preaching, he said something about the forgiveness of sins. The Holy Ghost fell on them. Why? Because they believed it. Oh, we would love to assist you. You can walk out of here just overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So we want to invite you for that. If you have some kind of uh, struggle in your physical body that you need healing for, an addiction or anything like that that's got you bound... We'd love to cut for you to come up and we'll allow God to break the chains of bondage off your life tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So the ministers will come forth and we want to invite you to come forward. Be sure and be with us Sunday morning. Got an awesome new series, Train Family, that we're starting. Really excited about it. Really excited to be here with you again. God bless you. You're dismissed. In Jesus' name.